today on Ag News Daily. And I feel like a lot of times um, our day-to-days weren't getting like, showcased, and we wouldn't remember things, I guess. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Madison Honkamp here with the Ag News Daily Podcast. And today I am joined with Delaney Howell and Mike Pearson. And today has been kind of a hot one out there. What what has it been like for you guys? Oh, yeah. A little toasty, a little cloudy. We got some uh, much-needed rainfall yesterday, and, uh, you know, things are things are moving along. The crop continues to be developing out there in the countryside. Delaney, what are you up to today? Yeah, I – well, I want to go back to yesterday for a second because I assumed it was going to rain. I looked at the radar. It looked pretty bad. So I wasn't – I was planning on originally going to – Indianola's hot air balloon festival and then I thought mm, the weather looks pretty crappy so I didn't end up going and then it never rained oh so you missed out on the national balloon classic yeah, I'm sad. oh dang it that's a lot of fun I know I've never it's been. still going on like this weekend and Friday oh it, it is um, yeah it's like a whole 10-day deal now oh yeah I think that's true because I heard you could only fly the hot air balloons like when the conditions are really absolutely just right. So I think they mm-hmm. have to make it longer so that they can get a couple days worth at least of flying in. Absolutely. Yeah, Listeners, so. if you have ever hot air ballooned, been ballooning, we want to hear your story. I think it would be a <laughs> heck of a way to check crop conditions, frankly. Um, I'm not really like a huge fan of heights, but I would absolutely ride in a hot air balloon just once to say I have. Yeah, for sure. All right, listeners, find us on social media at Ag, uh, Ag News Daily on Facebook and on Twitter, and let us know your ballooning stories. I'm guessing <laughs> there, we have to have a couple of listeners who, if they haven't ridden in hot air balloons, have had hot air balloons come down on their property. Mm. Yeah, that could We had be. that happen oh, outside probably. Grinnell a few years ago. Yes, that would be interesting. Oh, let's see. Well, speaking of interesting, we've got interesting news today in the world of trade. The trade talks are continuing with China. The Chinese have said they anticipate, quote, intensive contact ahead of the next round of conversation, uh, which will be coming after the August recess. So in September, they're going to try to prepare some, quote, good groundwork for those trade talks. This is coming from the Chinese Commerce Ministry. And uh, they announced that today, and they also uh, confirmed the first private purchase of soybeans since the trade war began. And also, we got news via Twitter this morning that on September 1st, the U.S. is going to put a 10% tariff on uh, the remaining $300 billion worth of Chinese imports. So that was mm-hmm. not great news for the for the grain market, soybean market in particular today. The Everybody was just kind of hitting their sell buttons, as, as we'll talk about when we get to the market segment. Well, at least it's only 10% tariff, I guess. Right. It, and he, he characterized it as, let me find the tweet here. He said, this is President Trump's tweet this morning, quote, trade talks are continuing. And during the talks, the U.S. will start on September 1st, putting a small additional tariff on 10% of the remaining $300 billion of goods and products coming from China into our country. This does not include the $250 billion already tariffed at 25%. So that's the uh, that's the distinction. This 300 will be at 10% versus the remainder at 25%. So yeah, small tariff, but uh, definitely a, another tax that the U.S. consumer will be paying. Yes, unfortunately so. But since we're talking about trade news, a couple of other quick 
pieces of trade news I wanted to share. Of course, we know that negotiations are starting again today with Japan, and we've talked about that on the podcast earlier, but Japan is roughly the fourth largest market for U.S. dairy producers, buying about $300 million in products each year. So those folks are really hoping we get something in place with Japan sooner rather than later. And uh, Mike and Madison, I don't know if you guys watched the Democratic debate last night. I personally did not watch it, but trade made it into their discussions as well. Joe Biden said that if he were to be elected president, he will absolutely put us back into the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or now the CPTPP, and I don't think that comes as any surprise. He was part of the Obama administration when they decided it was a good idea to move forward with it, etc., but a lot of people also took the time to make digs at President Trump about his policies dealing with rural America, although I'm not sure any of them would really have any other better solutions. Well, yeah, and I, I didn't watch the debate either, so I won't offer too much uh, commentary on it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was nice to see some of the candidates, based on what I've seen on Twitter, uh, coming out for more of a free trade approach. You know, that's not typically been where the Democrats have fallen on the trade issues. And it's just interesting to see that plank of the platform starting mm -hmm. to shift a little bit with uh, President Trump's you know, trade wars. I don't get why they're not pro-trade or pro-free trade agreements. Well, the, the general sense is that, and I think this is pretty well agreed upon by all parties, is that free trade has a tendency to uh, drive manufacturing to the lowest cost places. So when we look at the Rust Belt, Ohio, Indiana, you know, Western Pennsylvania, places that were really built on manufacturing, with the introduction of free trade, all of a sudden that manufacturing could be done cheaper in Mexico or in China, as we, you know, added China to the WTO. And so from a worker's uh, wealth perspective, trade isn't always a good thing to everybody's pocketbook. And that's that's where they've come from at, historically, as, as more okay. of the protectionist party, yeah. whereas Republicans yeah. were saying, well, yeah, some workers will be hurt, but the entire economy will get cheaper goods, which is mm -hmm. good for business, which employs more people and blah, blah, blah. So that was kind of the Republican side traditionally. And now that's that's being flipped around a little bit. Okay. Hmm. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So, Madison, Morning. what kind of news are you looking at today? Well, I have, just kind of speaking of trade, kind of relating back to the USMCA agreement, actually, that I believe is, I'm not sure if that has passed the House yet. I haven't really seen anything. No, but it hasn't been brought to the House yet. It hasn't? No. Oh, my goodness. That's where I understand, they, because President Trump okay. knows that Pelosi will not pass it at this time. Oh, okay. I did see something about that, but I wasn't for sure. Okay. But anyways, so the Mexican government is threatening to dramatically increase border inspections of U.S. farm goods unless the Commerce Department backs down on its proposal to ramp up inspections of tomatoes from Mexico. Um, so this has kind of been... It hasn't really been in the news, but it sounds like it's been kind of a big issue in the past couple of weeks. And the U.S. actually sold about $18.8 billion of farm goods to Mexico in 2018. And then Mexico did export about $25.7 billion to the U.S. that year. And that included $2 billion worth of tomatoes. So we're really seeing kind of a 
decrease in the trading of tomatoes, and it's with mostly with Florida. And they're having lots of complaints for their Mexican competitors selling tomatoes to the U.S. at unfair low prices. And hopefully they are going to get this all figured out by September 19th. That is their due date that they have. Of course, that's a more of a loose due date. Who knows if that will actually happen. But it's but Florida and Mexico both kind of have to come to that agreement on how they're going to, what they're going to do with tomatoes. So I thought that was really interesting because you don't see tomatoes in the news very often. No, but if you're a tomato grower, that's going to be an issue you are watching very, very yes. closely for sure. Yes, definitely in um, the southeast, I believe, is a huge, they're probably going to get hit the most in this, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I heard uh, a, a very recent and very similar talk coming out of the Georgia, I believe it was the Georgia Vegetable Growers Association, was raising very similar complaints with the USMCA. So, you know, again, the fact that it hasn't come before the House yet might be a good thing mm -hmm. because there are still these issues that need to be resolved so that everybody can be on board or at least enough people can be on board that the, the dang thing can get mm -hmm. signed. Yeah, that's what I, I read mm -hmm. a piece of news today that said... Um, Chuck Grassley has urged President Trump not to send it to the House yet because, or, because once it gets sent to the House, then they have to vote on it and it starts this, basically this time window when Congress has to approve it by and if it doesn't get passed, then it becomes this whole mess of things. So they're oh, saying that... to wait before it, they're saying yeah. wait essentially so they know they have the votes to pass it before they send it to the House. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, Waiting is something the cattle industry has been doing for several years. We've been waiting for this herd expansion to begin to slow that was driven by the record prices in 2014. And Randy Black, the CEO of Cattlefax, uh, was giving a presentation at the summer industry business meeting for the uh, cattle industry in Denver. Uh, this would have been uh, yesterday. And he said that their research shows that the expansion is coming to an end. He says it is slowed to a crawl. The big growth is behind us. And he said this is something we've expected. Um, we're continuing to see record beef, pork, and poultry supplies definitely having an impact on prices. Uh, was talking to a friend of mine who's a cattle buyer, and he said, you know, they're still hanging out at that 110 level uh, for live cattle purchases in East Central Iowa. And now there's there might start to be an uptick in pricing as we get into 2020 and beyond with this herd growth behind us. But here is something that just absolutely blew me away. Two statistics that jumped out. Are you ready for this, guys? I'm ready. So... You know, the ratings of beef, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. there has been a 50% increase in prime and choice beef production in the past 15 years. Wow. That's insane. That's just, not only has our herd grown nationwide, it has grown and, and really, really improved. climbed in quality. Yeah. Yes. 50% over the last 15 years. Yes. 80% of U.S. beef is now either prime or choice. That's wow. incredible to me. That's good. Yeah, it is. That's why our eating experience when it comes to beef and a very similar story on the pork and probably on the poultry side um, has improved so much because we just have so much better product today at reasonable prices than we would have had, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago. I mean, I think that really also, I mean, I, I'm sure you use this point in your speeches when you talk to groups, Mike, just the fact that the U.S. really does have a safer and better food supply. This is like a key example of that. 
Absolutely. A hundred and ten percent. It's growers doing what they need to do to make money also mm. is providing a much better product for the end user. And you're exactly right. We are the probably the safest food supply in the world. Yes. And as we continue yeah, to talk about um talk about what's going on in our food supply, we've been talking a lot about meatless meat. I brought up that story yesterday. Well, we're also seeing Beyond Meat's competitor, which is Impossible Foods. They're planning to launch in grocery stores in as early as September, assuming that they can get hmm. FDA approval hmm. and start selling their vegan burger, which hmm. there's a picture of it and it looks really gross. <laughs> well, then Mike can well, just try it for us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm down with trying the Beyond Burger. I think I can get that at Burger King. Or maybe that's the impossible one. I don't, I don't know, know which is which. I don't know. They're don't both know. the if same, I, I right? Promise. They're both. I think they're I made promise. the same way. They're both um, soy or not soy, but they're both plant-based burgers, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. They're both plant-based burgers. I, I promise, podcast listeners, if I am somewhere that I see an Impossible and or Beyond a Burger, I will, assuming that I'm not really craving some like actual food, mm-hmm. I will order it and I will eat it. Well, you just get a backup sandwich in case. Yeah, you just order two. That's, that's a great idea. Now, see, this is why we keep you guys around. You are solving this <laughs> problem. You're exactly right. I will get two. I will get a real burger, and then I will get a fake meat burger. Um, okay, so wait. Let me ask one more question. So those two are doing the plant-based meats. Who is doing uh-huh. cell-cultured meats? Memphis Meats. Memphis Meats. Okay. Yes, Perfect. and they Got are it. not on the market yet anywhere, I right. believe. No, they're too expensive to be still. Yep. Because well, yep. they don't have any FDA approval yet, do they? Uh, mm. That's a great question. I, don't, I, I don't guess I don't even think they've brought it to the FDA, maybe. I don't know. Good question. That could be. I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure. Well, that is, uh, that is interesting. So they're going to be in grocery stores. That's what it sounds like. Probably like well, Whole Foods and stuff. I don't suppose we'll see them in like normal grocery stores for a little while still. Probably right. not. Probably not going to be in Fairway or Hy-Vee anytime soon. Yeah, that's what I'm so. thinking. And you know what? I've got to say, you know, we, we rip on fake meat quite a bit. But if there is an actual market there, this could be great news for pulse crop growers. You know, mm-hmm. raising the peas that are going to go into these yeah, uh, yeah. these Frankenstein burgers. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Frankenstein burgers. I mean, hey, demand is demand, and hopefully it, it helps some farmer somewhere. That's what matters. That's true. Absolutely. Well, what else you guys got for news for us today? I am out. I am also out. Madison, do you have any? Um, I just have one thing. Since we were talking about plant-based foods, I saw this, that plant-based food market, the value has hit $4.5 billion in sales, and that's growing. it's grown 11% in the past year. And then um, the plant-based meat market forecast is to reach about $85 billion by 2030. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, I, that's, that's a thing. Because <laughs> I just saw that and I was like, it's growing a lot faster, I think, than they really expected and that I think a lot of people expected. So... I guess it's it's interesting to me. It sure is. It sure is indeed. And Mike, before we even jump into the markets, let's take a listen to our good friend Ray Bohax with the Hot Rod Farmer Minute.
Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I'm Ray Bohax from the Farm Machinery Digest website and Idle Chatter podcast found on the Global Ag Network. A common mistake that both farmers and professional mechanics alike make is not resurfacing the flywheel when a clutch is replaced. Though the flywheel is made of heavy-duty material, it is exposed to friction heat even when the clutch disc and pressure plate are not slipping. This thermal cycling over time will degrade, warp, and change the surface metallurgy. When this occurs, the clutch has the potential to chatter, vibrate, grab, and stick, along with premature failure of the new disc and pressure plate. The clutch is designed to work on a parallel surface. A worn, cupped, or crooked flywheel can also cause release problems, especially in an application that does not have a good deal of inherent travel. If the clutch was slipping prior to being renewed, an excessive amount of heat was induced to the flywheel, and all areas of concern are amplified. A new clutch assembly that is mated to a flywheel that was not surfaced will have a dramatic reduction in service life. To access most clutch assemblies, the tractor often needs to be split, not a task that you want to do twice. If the clutch is worn, then the flywheel needs to be resurfaced. It is that simple. The proper method would be to take measurements with a dial indicator and magnetic base while the flywheel is still attached to the crankshaft. The pragmatic being, if the disc is worn, the flywheel is distorted. Excessive flywheel runout is usually the result of previously misaligned resurfacing methods such as a brake lathe or a sloppy fixturing to a flywheel grinder. When I purchase a new flywheel, I bring it to the machine shop and have it set up on the grinder and dressed to make sure that it is true. Do not assume because it is new that is the case. The market is rife with poor quality imports and rough handling during shipment. Thanks again, Ray, for our Hot Rod Farmer Minute. Again, you can find him at the Idle Chatter Podcast on Global Ag Network, and he is always full of lots of interesting information. Speaking of interesting, I know a lot of our listeners are probably interested in what is going on in the markets. Delaney, what do you say? Should we jump in and see where price is wrapped up for the day? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our good friends at Zaner. Reminder, I am now one of those good friends at Zaner. If you want to get in touch with me and learn to better manage your marketing risk, give me a call. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0112, or you can visit all of us on the website at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell us you heard about it on the Ag News Daily podcast. Well, as I mentioned, we've got more red on the screen today. Yesterday's sell-off has really only accelerated, probably driven to some extent by the news of additional tariffs going on China, more uncertainty in the trade war. In the corn market, September corn was down seven and a half cents at 392 and three quarters. The December contract was also down seven and a half, finished the day at 402 and a half. In soybeans, the September contract dropped 16 and a quarter, finishing at 852 and three quarters. November new crop also down 16 and a quarter, closed the day at six at 865. Got to get that one right. 865 and a quarter. In Chicago wheat, the September contract dropped 11 and a half cents, closing at 475 and three quarters. December down 12 and a half, finishing the day at 480 and three quarters. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got a mixed trade in the cattle complex today. Lives a little higher, feeder cattle a little lower. In the live cattle, that October contract was up a dollar 0750, finish at 108.72 and a half. December 
up 62.5 cents, finished the day at 112.85. Feeders, as I mentioned, a little bit of weakness today. The September contract down 92.5 cents at 141.52.50. The October down a dollar 25. Excuse me, a dollar two and a half cents to finish at 141.52.50. And huge weakness again today in the hog market. Yesterday's technical sell-off accelerated. Now we've got additional tariffs. China probably not step into the table very soon. Yesterday we were limit down in the hog contract. So today we had expanded limits and unfortunately, the market used them. The October lean hog contract was down three dollars twenty-five or three dollars fifty-two and a half cents at sixty-seven forty-seven fifty, with the December contract dropping four dollars two and a half cents on the day to finish at sixty-six twenty-five. Looking over at the world of dairy in class three milk today, the August contract dropped three cents at seventeen twenty-two, with the September down two cents, closing at seventeen sixty-six. Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're going to be talking to in our interview for today? I would love to. Well, our Instagram takeover continues. We're talking to Stacy Folsom today, who is another Insta follower of Agnes Daily. Well, we've, of course, as you know, started our own Instagram, which you can follow us at Agnews Daily. But through this new platform, we've been able to interact with a lot more folks who are much more active than we are on social media. Joining me today is Stacy Folsom, who is a farm wife a rancher, a mom, an advocate on social media, and she's from Jackson, Montana. Stacy, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Delaney. So, Stacy, tell me a little bit about your operation out there in Jackson, Montana, and what part of Montana, for those folks not super familiar with the state, is that located in? So Jackson, Montana is in the southwestern corner, um, kind of like in the crook of Idaho. Um, okay. So we're roughly two hours from Missoula, uh, two and a half hours from Bozeman. Those would be the closest two towns to us. Gotcha. Yep. So you guys are kind of out there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Which yeah. is but really beautiful country out there in Montana. Thank you. We love it. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Very in tune with nature out there, that's for sure. So Stacy, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit uh, a little bit about you and your husband's operation. So it's actually a family operation. It's my husband and I, um, his parents and um my youngest brother in law. We're all at the ranch. Um, it's a cow-calf operation, but we also have um, more cattle that are not ours that we bring on that we graze in the summertime. So, um, and then we also, sorry, <laughs> we also have our, my other brother-in-law who's a vet who comes up and does our vet work. Oh, okay, gotcha. So are are your I assume that they're uh grazing cattle too. You're they're just kinda all over and not necessarily right there at your homestead. Um, yeah, so the ranch is like roughly twenty five thousand acres and we have it all split up into large pastures. Um so we have pairs separate from yearlings. Um and we just try and uh, cycle through all of the pastures and we set up um, wire, hot wire fence. So 
so the cattle graze it all evenly before we move on to the next pasture. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. Stacey, I know in other parts of the country, maybe more so in the High Plains and Midwest, folks have been dealing with some forage crisis this year because of the obviously bad weather that some parts of the nation have been facing. Have you guys been faced with any of those challenges or do do you expect to have any of those challenges this year? Well, I guess that's just kind of the thing. You never know when when you're at Mother Nature's mercy. Um, Last year and this year, I would say, were a little bit more difficult than most years. Um, We've had really long winters that have lasted um, longer than usual. And so we calve in April and May. And usually in April and May, we have green grass starting and our meadows are bare. But the last two years, we've had snow on the ground and so it's been it's been harder for sure. You know, calves get born and they get cold and wet, and we got to bring them in and get them warm, and then go get their mom and get them back mothered up and whatnot. So it's been, yeah, it's been a little bit of a challenge. As everything is in agriculture, at some point it seems like. But uh, Stacy, are you guys doing all of your herd management? Um, by horseback? Do you guys use ranger? Are you still doing it kind of old school? I love that when there's still, I mean, that's very unusual for our part of Iowa, but I'm sure out there it's very common. Yeah. So my husband is very old school and he does 90% of his work on horseback, um, riding pastures, sorting cattle. It, when we got to get him in to um, precondition them, he always sorts horseback. We brand our cattle we head and heal them horseback. Um, in the wintertime when we do have a lot of snowdrifts and stuff and, you know, if we're dealing with calves that we got to bring in and stuff, lots of times he'll send me and the ranger to get the calf and he'll go out on his horse and he'll get the cow kind of a thing. And you guys not only are obviously extremely busy with your ranch operation, but uh, just scrolling through your Instagram, you've got tons of pictures of your little kiddos on there. How do you do that balance of helping out on the ranch, but also having three little kids running around, keeping you busy, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, so that is um, a little bit more difficult. I wish that I was able to help out more on the ranch, Um, but I'm actually quite limited now because my children are my responsibility. um, They are more important than the cattle. So I just kind of pick and choose if... um, what I get to help with. I usually help when they're around the headquarters, you know, if we're running calves or cows through the shoe, I'm usually there to help with that and branding. Um, and my oldest, which is three and a half, loves to do whatever his dad is doing. So I try and get him out there as much as possible too, but sometimes it is hard because um, they ride all day long and he's just not able to do that so it's um we're still trying to figure out the balancing act but we're getting better (laughs) yeah absolutely three or three years old is a long let be a long day for a three-year-old three and a half year old to be out and about all day (laughs) yeah uh, and, and not only do you then have pictures of your kiddos on there but uh, also a lot of pictures of what looks to be like your ranch life and your family's ranch life 
tell me the process of, of you starting this Instagram page. Was it to connect with those people outside of agriculture? Was it just your way for a release to be posting and, and have a little interaction with other people? Or what was your mindset behind that? Well, um, I'm not really sure. I like to take pictures, um, but I'm not like super techie with those fancy cameras and all that stuff. And I feel like a lot of times um, our day-to-days weren't getting like showcased and we wouldn't remember things, I guess. And I'm like, I just need to start taking more pictures. And then um, my three-year-old is just a spitfire. And so on my stories, I would do like stories of him and everyone seemed to love him. And I'm like, I need to do this more often. I need to, you know, kind of let people into our lives. They think we're just, you know, we go to work and we come home, which is true. But at the same time, there's a lot of other things that happen in there. And I have a really good friend, um, Sarah Hollenbeck, Sarah, the sheep lady. I don't know if you uh, know her, but she uh, is married to a fellow rancher and they raise sheep. And she kind of does, you know, Instagram with her sheep and stuff. And I'm like, I can totally do that with our cows. So I just kind of followed in her footsteps, I guess. Kids, cows, sheep, all the good stuff. All the good stuff. I love it. Do you uh, get a lot of interaction then with people just mainly in agriculture or do you get a lot of folks outside of agriculture reaching out to you and asking, hey, why do you do this stuff? How does this work? I've had about 50-50 and I try and, um, you know, let people see our lives, but also I try and not, I don't want people to think that, um, you know, cattle ranching is bad or that we're bad to animals or anything like that. So I, you know, I try not to post videos of us necessarily branding them just because you never know what people will come back at you with. But um, I, uh, where was I going with that? (laughs) So you don't, you don't, you don't post negative things, but, but how do you, I guess, how do you use that filter or that eye where you're thinking, okay, how will people react to this? How do you decide what you should post versus what you shouldn't? Uh, I try and think of like, what, what are we doing and how is this similar to what humans do? You know, like when we give our cattle um, vaccines for, um, you know, Pyramid 5 or uh, Nasligen that, you know, help them with pneumonia, help them fight off diseases and stuff, I think, well, it's the same thing as when moms and dads take their babies to the doctors and they, you know, give them the measles vaccine and stuff like that. So I try and think of, well, what do we do as humans that we think is totally fine? And what do we do to our cattle that we also do in our, in our lives that we don't realize? And that's really, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think so. I mean, I think that's really the only way to connect sometimes with people that don't understand it is to think about it from maybe a mom perspective or a parent perspective of how are they going to look at that, especially when it comes to taking care of another creature or livestock, comparing that to taking care of your kiddos. So that, yeah, that makes sense for sure. Yeah. 
Final question for you, Stacy. But uh, as you look at your continued journey here with posting and sharing stuff on your Instagram and social media accounts, what what really is your goal in doing all of this? I just wanted. So we run Red Angus, and Red Angus is um, not a lot of people run Red Angus. It's you know we are dominated by a Black Angus industry, and I just kind of wanted to bring more light into the Red Angus side, kind of a thing. Um, I came from a cattle ranch that's Black Angus as well. And so when we got into it, I was like, well, why aren't we going to run Black Angus? <laughs> and my husband's like, because that's not what we do. So <laughs> I just wanted to mix things up a little bit and be like, yeah, you know. And um, we try and be really selective with our bulls and we're trying to um, – really up the ante with our calves so they convert well and, you know, they taste good and that kind of stuff. So it's just been really interesting trying to search for the bulls and what we found and how it's just different than kind of the route that everyone else is taking. Yeah, that's really neat. Really neat. Uh, Stacy. if folks would like to tune in with you on your Instagram account, how can they find you? Um, so my Instagram handle is fangirl underscore Folsom. And it's just, um, I'm not set to private. So I believe you can just follow me if you want to. Um, and... Go ahead and interact with me. I love to make new friends. I love to um, help people if this is something they want to do and just also uh, encourage other moms out there. So, yeah. Awesome. I love it. Stacy. thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Well, again, a big thank you there to Stacy. And please do follow along with us on Instagram. I cannot take credit for it. I know Mike cannot take credit for it. It has been (laughs) done by our amazing intern, Madison Honkamp. She loves posting and sharing the the pictures that you folks send to her. I love seeing them. I love logging into Instagram and seeing what... What is what did Madison post today? So (laughs) do follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. Folks, with that, should we let the people go? Let's Let's let them go. Let them go.